Sometime back, I received, in the name of our country, the bodies of four Marines who had died while on active duty. I said then that there is a special sadness that accompanies the death of a serviceman, for we're never quite good enough to them. Not really, we can't be, because what they gave us is beyond our powers to repay. And so when a serviceman dies, it's a tear in the fabric, a break in the hole, and all we can do is remember. It is, in a way, an odd thing to honor those who died in defense of our country, in defense of us, in wars far away. The imagination plays a trick. We see these soldiers in our mind as old and wise. We see them as something like the founding fathers, grave and gray-haired. But most of them were boys when they died, and they gave up two lives, the one they were living and the one they would have lived. When they died, they gave up their chance to be husbands and fathers and grandfathers. They gave up their chance to be revered old men. They gave up everything for our country, for us. We owe them a debt we can never repay. All we can do is remember them and what they did and why they had to be brave for us. Hey, it is, it's great to be with you guys on the weekend that we pay honor to the memory of those who have served our country and have since passed on. And I hope for us tomorrow as we're having fun and celebrating and enjoying the freedoms that we're not just absorbing another day off, but we're actually thankful for the fact that our freedom was paid for and many have paid that ultimate price. And so I'm so glad to have you guys with us this week. For those of you who are watching online, thanks for tuning in. Uh, I should let you know that I'm not our lead pastor, Doug. If you go to Orchard Church, I need to say that because we look so much alike. I know that you guys often confuse us. I'll be at King Supers and someone will say, hey, Pastor Doug, and they'll give me a hug. And I'm like, no, I'm not that guy. That's, that's the other one. If you're new with us, let me show you what I'm referring to. Uh, he and I look so much alike. <laughs> We took that earlier this week before he went on vacation. If it weren't for the tattoos, I, I wouldn't be able to tell the difference. <laughs> Most of you are probably with me on that, but it is great to be with you today. He'll be back next week. We're going to kick off a brand new series in the book of Daniel. Uh, you guys are going to want to join us for that. But today we're going to be in Colossians 3. So if you have a Bible and you'd like to turn to Colossians 3 right now, or if you have an app on a mobile device, you can get to Colossians 3. I'm also going to make sure that it's on the screen so you guys can follow along in the New Living Translation. A couple hundred years ago, there was a priest in a small European village. At the same time every day, he would hike this mountain to get to the temple where he'd perform certain rituals. He'd burn incense and light candles and pray prayers for the village below. And, and one day, as he makes his hike up the hill and he enters the temple, he notices that there's a stray cat lying on the floor. And so at first, he just completely ignores the cat, which the cat didn't care for. So the cat gets up, 
walks over to the priest and uses the priest's leg to rub his face and body. If you have cats, you might know what I'm talking about, where they just kind of walk over and they hit you that way and then drive by the next way. And the priest is still able to completely block out the cat's existence until he notices the cat jump onto a ledge where the candles are lit. And so the priest glances over at the cat, and the cat makes eye contact and knocks a candle right off the ledge. So now the priest has to do something, right? So he, he goes over to the cat, he grabs it, he finds some rope, he ties the cat up to a post in the corner until he finishes his entire ceremony. Well, the next day, same time, he hikes up this mountain, gets into the temple, and again, the cat is lying on the floor. Only this time, before he even begins, he ties up the cat before he starts his rituals. He's able to get through the entire ceremony without interruption, without any distraction. Next day, same time, hikes up this mountain again into the temple, ties the cat up, does the rituals, it works. This happens day after day after day. This was a couple hundred years ago, so obviously the priest is dead. The cat has lost all nine of its lives. And today in that small European village, there's a priest who at the same time every day before he hikes up to the temple, he searches the village below. And he looks in every house and through every nook and cranny to find a stray cat. And when he finds a cat, he puts it in a bag. And he hikes up this mountain to get to the temple where he then ties the cat up to a post in the corner and then performs the same rituals that they've always done. Sometimes we have traditions in life that are a bit ridiculous. There's no need to find a cat just to tie it up before you perform rituals. But at the same time, there's often traditions that are very important and even beneficial for us today. And every culture, every generation, every religion has its set of practices and routines, things that it does because it's simply always done them. And rarely does anyone ever question why. Why are we doing this? Why do we need to tie up a cat? And so today, we're going to look at one of the oldest traditions in the history of the Christian church, one of the oldest practices that the church has done since, since a long, long, long time ago. I want us to look at first uh, Colossians 3.16. We're going, to look, we're going to start there, and we're going to look through this entire chapter together. But in Colossians 3.16, it says, Let the message about Christ in all its richness, fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. And here it is. Say it with me. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Singing is something that the church has done for a long, long time. This was taken from a letter written in the 50s. That tells you how old it is. Not the 1950s. That would also be a very old tradition. But this was the 50s as in 20 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the first century. And the Apostle Paul is writing to this church in Colossae, and he has the leadership and the authority given to him by Jesus himself, and he's commanding the church to sing. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. He doesn't say, hey, if you are good at singing or if you enjoy singing or if you have songs that fit with the message for today, sing. It's a command, sing. Psalms, that's the middle book that we have in our Bible. It was the book of the songs for the people of Israel. They, they, would, they had them memorized. Those are their songbook. Hymns, this is not like 
what we have here today. This is way before the printing press. You might think of this type of hymnal when you hear the word hymn. This clearly didn't exist yet, although there's some great songs in there throughout the history of the church. Hymns and spiritual songs would be songs of praise to God and songs of praise about God. And the Apostle Paul is saying that when the church gathers, they must sing praise to God. And if you've grown up in church your whole life like I have, you've probably been singing since, since you were born in church and your parents' generation sang and your grandparents' generation, all the way back 2,000 years the church has sung and rarely has anyone ever wondered why do we do this. But if you're newer to church and you can think back to that time that you first walked through a church door and, and music begins to play, maybe it was a band like we have here, Maybe it was someone on piano or a pipe organ, and, and all of a sudden the people around you just start singing. If you can think back to that moment, you're probably wondering, what in the world did I just get myself into? Because if we're honest, singing is weird. I'm a singer, I'm a musician, but I'm telling you, singing is weird. Where else in culture do you see a group of adults sing together? Like, think about the last time you were in an elevator. Did the elevator's door, elevator doors close, and all of a sudden everyone breaks out into a song about the inventors? Has that ever happened to anyone? It's not happened to me yet. And you know why that hasn't happened? Because it would be weird, right? It would be weird for people to just start singing. If you don't believe me, next time you're in an elevator, just try it. Like Buddy the Elf. Have you seen the movie Elf? The doors close and just, I'm singing, I'm in an elevator, and I'm singing, just see what happens. And post it online, because we would all love to see what happens. <laughs> singing is weird, but we're going to look today at Colossians chapter 3 and see why it's necessary, because it's not like finding a cat to tie up a cat just for the sake of having a cat. There is a reason we sing, and I believe in Colossians 3, we're going to find four legit reasons, even benefits for us as Christ followers and people who gather as his church to sing. So let's take a look at the first one. It's here in your notes. When we sing, we focus on God. As you're writing that down, say it with me. When we sing, we focus on God. Let's look at verses 1 and 2 in Colossians 3. Paul says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ... Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Singing is a great way for us to think about the realities of heaven because we're singing about those realities and it helps us to not think about the things of the earth. Oddly enough, this makes me think of, of my hometown, my wife and I are from uh, Southern California. About 17 years ago, we started dating, and quite frequently, our most common date would have been Disneyland. Anyone been to Disneyland? Not Disney World, the one with magic, Disneyland, the original. We'd go there quite often because, one, we had passes, and two, I was broke and cheap. And so 17 years later, I just don't have a pass anymore. That's the only thing that's changed. But we'd go to Disneyland, we loved Disneyland, we had kids, we'd take them to Disneyland quite regularly, a lot less often now that we live further away. But I've also studied so much about Disney, the, the organization and its values and how it treats its employees and how it treats its customers. And I've read its history and, and read somewhere that Walt, in 1955, 
He, he has this vision for, for Disneyland, a theme park where adults and children could go to forget the worries of today. That's why there's a Tomorrowland, and that's why there's a Fantasyland, because when you're in Disneyland, he doesn't want you thinking about the worries of today. And he was so fanatical about this vision that in 1955, as the land around Disney is starting to be built up, Walt goes to the city council of Anaheim and has them pass a law saying that buildings, if they were going to be a certain number of stories, a certain height, couldn't be a certain proximity from the theme park. Because if you've ever been to Disneyland, you know when you look around 360 degrees, all you see is Disneyland. Because Walt's vision was that strong that when you're in the theme park, you're not seeing anything that reminds you of your worries of today. We have a a similar thing in singing at church together, but I want to point out this very distinct difference because we don't come here to forget our worries. We come here to bring our worries. Let me show you what the Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5. Give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. When we sing, we're not pretending like life is great outside of these walls. We're not trying to to forget that we have bills to pay and there are relationships that we have to work on. We come here to bring all of that to God, to give it to him, to surrender, to lay it down at his feet. There's a principle I want you to understand. It's in your notes. It says that when, or singing to God, takes our mind off our problems and puts it on our solution. When we're singing, we're, we're focused on God who is the solution to our problems. We're not forgetting them or pretending that they don't exist. We're bringing them to him, and by doing so, we put our focus on God. And think about this. God is so majestic. God is so glorious. He's so great. He's so grand that when we sing, we put him at the center of our vision. He's so glorious that he not only fills the center, but he fills our peripheral as well to where we don't even see our problems anymore. They disappear. There's a song I grew up singing in church. Maybe you're familiar with it. The chorus says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. When we sing, man, our problems just shrink. They diminish. They become nothing because our focus is on our solution. And so maybe, maybe you need to sing to change your perspective. Maybe you've got problems outside that, that, that you don't need to forget about or pretend don't exist, but you need to bring to God and you need to focus on your solution, and singing does that. The second thing there in your notes, when we sing, we engage in war. Now, you all seen Braveheart, right? I'm not condemning or condoning the movie Braveheart, but you've seen it. Let's say this together in our best Braveheart war cry. Can we do that? When we sing, we engage in war. There you go. Good job. Take take a look at verse 5. Just the first part of it. So put to death the sinful things lurking within you. What does it say? Put to death. You see, in this culture and in most cultures, taking someone else's life is only justified in battle. The Apostle Paul is using military language. And he goes on to say in that verse that within every one of us is the potential for sins and temptations that that any one of us are susceptible to. And he is telling us that we've got to murder the enemy within. 
In another passage, I put the reference in your notes, Ephesians 6.12, he says that our battle is not against each other. Our fight, our struggle is not with flesh and blood. We might disagree, we might not see eye to eye on some things, but ultimately our battle is against the evil forces of darkness that have filled this world. It's the sin nature within and the sin without. And the Apostle Paul is saying we need to put that to death. And singing calls on the army of heaven It calls on the general of the armies of heaven, God the creator himself, to be with us. As it says in Psalm 22, that God inhabits, he sits on a throne of the praises of his people. And when you and I sing together, we are calling God to make his home here. And whether the presence of God is, darkness has to hide. It trembles and it flees. It has no place in this room when we sing. Let's take a look at at, at the book of Acts. The apostle Paul, he didn't just write this. It wasn't just a nice theory that he had. He lived this out. He was with some friends in a town called Philippi. And he was going around and and doing some things in the name of Jesus. and, And all of a sudden, a riot breaks out. And Paul and his friend Silas get thrown into the deepest, darkest dungeon. I want to show you what happens next in Acts chapter 16. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Apparently, Paul had a majestically awesome voice like Michael Buble or something else angelic like that to where the other prisoners were mesmerized and listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors, every single door in the prison immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Paul got to live this out physically, literally. What we're talking about is, as, as a metaphor, as something abstract, he witnessed firsthand. He had chains and shackles on his ankles and his wrists, and he and Silas decide to engage in war, and they call on God and the armies of heaven to intervene, and everything changes shakes the foundation to where God sets them all free. Not just those engaged in the battle, but the prisoners of war who were witnesses to the battle. Sets them all free because our enemy, Satan himself, wants to keep us locked in chains, but God gives us freedom. And when we're singing together, Satan wants to have us filled with sorrow, but God brings us joy. Where Satan wants us to be in fear, God gives us peace. And so singing calls on God to take his throne in this place. And darkness trembles and hides. And so maybe you need to sing because there are battles in your life that you need to fight. Maybe it's from something within, maybe it's something that the enemy is doing without, and when you come here today, you bring it to God and you call upon God and his army to intervene, to break in and to fight those battles for you because he is victorious. So we sing to engage in the war. Third thing in your notes, when we sing, we put down roots. As you're writing that, say that with me. When we sing, we put down roots. Take a look at the verse we started with, Colossians 3.16. says, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. You might have read another translation that said, let the word of God dwell within you. He's saying, let it take root. Let it dig down deep within you. 
And then he goes on to say, sing psalms. The psalms were literally scripture. You and I today, we, we have songs that are inspired by scripture. Lyrics are often a, a, um, a translation of scripture or maybe a rephrasing to make it sound more poetic or rhyme. In fact, we sang a song earlier today, and, and if you're watching online and you miss that, I, I hope that you can join us next week when we continue to, to sing praise to God. But let me show you some lyrics from a song that we sang earlier. And I want you to pay attention to the highlights on these lyrics. This is the chorus of Strong in Us, which we sang. Our God is strong in us. His love has overcome. He is alive in us. He is the risen one. Say this part with me. The same power that raised him up is the power that lives in us. Our God is strong in us. Our God is strong in us. Now look at Ephesians chapter one, and again, pay attention. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us. Some might say God's power that is available within us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. The writers of the song were obviously influenced by Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, and they, they took those words and they reshaped them. And when we sing songs, Scripture takes its place, it digs down deep, it fills our life, because here's the principle in your notes that I want you to understand. When we sing songs rooted in Scripture, Scripture is rooted in us. Already today, we have sung the Bible. You may not have noticed it. You may not have paid attention to the lyrics so much as the fact that they are inspired by God's Word. And when we sing those songs, they become a part of, of who we are. Maybe you wake up tomorrow morning and all of a sudden that melody is in your head and you start singing it again. Because here's the thing that God has always understood, Paul understood about 2,000 years ago, science and psychology the past couple hundred years have been talking about, and that is this, melodies are memorable. Have you ever had a song stuck in your head that you just wish wasn't there? Anybody know what I'm talking about? We got the beauty of technology to where if that song's stuck in my head, I just go straight to my iTunes and I'm like, just play it just to get it out. I don't want it there anymore. But we can do that with the songs that we sing to continue to focus on them and to continue to focus on God's Word. Let me show you an example of this. This high piece of technology was brought to you by our OC Kids Ministry. Some two-year-old today is having a fit because I took the xylophone. It's because my kids have outgrown their toys. I didn't have one to, to show you. But I'm going to play for you guys a melody, and I guarantee you'll recognize this melody. Here we go. Did you guys hear Laurel or Yanny? There are a couple of songs you might have heard. Right? That was a, a song, it's a French melody written in the 1700s, partially composed by Mozart, which means you just heard me play Mozart, and I've never taken a lesson in my life. Oh, God. Guys, come on. But that's the song that we teach our kids the alphabet with. You heard Twinkle Twinkle, but it's also the alphabet song. When you sit your kids down at a young age to teach them the alphabet, you don't say, well, the alphabet begins with the letter A, and A is followed by B, which precedes C. No kid would remember that. 
So we took this melody that has existed for hundreds of years and we put those words to it. And to the point where I remember my youngest, when she was like three and she would sing the alphabet, she'd get the melody down, but LMNOP never came out like LMNOP. Can anyone relate? To the point where we're just like, what did she just say? Like, was she cussing? I, I don't even understand those words. But melodies are memorable, and when we sing melodies that have God's word built into them and are inspired by God's word, then those melodies stick with us. And so maybe you need to sing not just to focus on God in the moment, but maybe you need to take that moment with you. So it's not just about this one moment, one day a week, but you can relive God's word throughout your life. And who knows from here what comes at you, but you can be equipped and empowered by God's word that lives within you. This God that is alive in us, the power that raised Christ from the dead, who knows when you're going to need to remember that scripture this week. And so we sing to focus, we sing to engage in war, but we also sing to remember scripture. And the final thing in your notes, reason why we sing, is when we sing, we build up others. This one's going to be a bit different. Let's take a look at the second part of Colossians 3.16. It says, teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Again, another translation that you might recognize said, teach and equip one another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The Apostle Paul is saying is that it's, it's the singing that teaches, it's the singing that encourages, it's the singing that, that can build us up. And God is inviting us to be a part of his, his plan to, to encourage others and to strengthen others. And we all come in this room today with different walks. We're at different steps in our journey. And there might be people around you who they're just beaten up today. Man, they don't, they don't necessarily believe all that we sung. They, they're doubting the character and the love of God, doubting his ability to come through, and our songs can strengthen them when they see our foundation, when they see our confidence. And it's not just the people on the stage, it's, it's all of us. Notice Paul doesn't say, if you're gifted at singing, teach, and counsel, he doesn't say if, if you have a microphone or have been trained to teach and counsel. It's for the whole church. Every single one of us is invited to teach and, and counsel and to build up those around us through the songs that we sing. And they may not always hear what you're saying. I mean, we, we play it loud so that you're not afraid to sing as loud as you want and off key as you want. But, but they can see it. They can see it in your eyes. They can see it in your expressions. They can see it in your posture. You have the ability to build up others. When I was 25, we moved uh, to Arizona where I became a worship pastor at a church there. And I didn't know it at the time, but God was about to radically change my perception of church and ministry. And we, we would go through some books together as a staff and we would discuss some things. We're trying to figure out who did we want to be as a church this was still pretty new in, in the, the game for that church, and we, we were trying to establish who are we? What do we want the weekend to be about? Who, who are we hoping to reach? And I remember going to Atlanta, and Atlanta is very different from Arizona if you've never been to either. Uh, Arizona is always one way, and Atlanta was cold and rainy. And so the thing I remember the most was, this is cold and rainy, what is this? But we would go and hear a guy named Andy Stanley, 
And Andy Stanley is the pastor of one of the largest churches in America, but he's also one of the most gifted communicators, brilliant mind. And Andy would talk about his vision for his church called North Point Community Church in, in Atlanta, Georgia. And, and his desire was that they would be a church that unchurched people would love to attend. He wanted that their environments to be so appealing that even if they didn't agree with them or believe what he was teaching, that they'd still want to be there, that there's something about that place that they wanted to be a part of. And I remember as a staff, as we're talking through all these things and reading these books, God led me through the Psalms. And there was a Psalm that just stopped me in my track and changed everything about my ministry, so much so that I had it tattooed right here on my arm. Because every time I play the guitar and, and sing or just play the guitar, I want people to see these verses from Psalm 40. And in fact, I gave you verse 3. Don't worry, it's in English. In your notes, you can look at verse 3 with me in your notes. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. What jumped out to me as I was reading this scripture is that God wants to use me. God wants to use you as singers and worshipers to not only help other Christians and Christ followers worship God, but we have an opportunity to show people who don't know Jesus who Jesus is. I don't know if you heard that, Orchard Church, but, but what, what God is inviting you and I to do is through our singing, we can help people find and follow Jesus. And so God really laid it on my heart that this is, this is the direction to go in ministry, and he gave me this thought, and, I, and I'm giving it here to you in your notes. It was very personal for me at the moment, so I hope you personalize this as well. In your notes, how I sing reflects my view of God. My view of God affects how I sing. Let me unpack that for you because it's, it's pretty weighted. In other words, when people see me sing, they are seeing what I truly believe about God. Am I just paying him lip service because there's some lyrics on a screen? Or do I really sing with conviction and confidence that the words I'm singing are true? That what I'm singing I truly believe in that God is worthy and he can be praised for all that he is and all that he has done. I want you to think of it this way. Imagine someone in this room, their only impression of God, all they know about God is based on how you just sang. Everything they know to be true about God is based on how you or I just sang and worshiped God. Would they be amazed at what he's done in your life? Would they be able to put their trust in him based on your response to who he is. Because how we sing reflects that, and, and how we view him is going to affect how we sing. Let's, let's finish the verse that we started with, the verse that we've been looking at all morning. Colossians 3.16, the very last sentence says, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with, what? Thankful hearts. Is your heart full of thanks? Is it full of gratitude to where it would overflow? Do you realize all that God has done for you? Do you realize all that God is? Because in my belief, even if God from this day forward never answers a single prayer for the rest of my life, he has already done enough 
by sending Christ to die in my place that my heart will still be full of thanks and he will still be worthy of my praise even if nothing else should go my way for the rest of my days. Do you believe that today? Because how we view God is going to affect how we sing in these moments. And we're going to do that. I'm going to invite the band to come out. We're going to, we're going to do something that we don't normally do here. We're going to take some time and practice the art of singing. And here's the thing. You don't have to remember all four things. It's okay if you don't look at your notes and you don't know all four reasons to sing because you just need one. Do you need to sing in this moment to focus on God? Is there something going on outside of these walls that you need to give to him? Do you need to sing because you need to engage in war and there are battles that you are losing and battles that you need to step up and call on his help to fight victory for you? Or maybe you need to just put down some roots. Do you need God's word to dwell in you so that when you leave here today, it goes with you, this moment lasts? Or do you need to help build up others around you. Maybe it's someone you came with and you know that they're not in a place that you want them to be and you can sing and show them who God is in this moment. There's one place in culture, I said earlier, there's not many that we sing and it's socially acceptable. I don't know if anything came to your mind, but I think of birthday parties. You've all been to birthday parties, right? You've all had a birthday party at some point. Birthdays are weird to me. Just follow me here. I'm not trying to change culture or anyone's mind, but this is just my belief. A birthday is basically remembering that on this day in history, your mom did something spectacular, and you've just managed not to mess it up. Am I the only one that thinks that way? I mean, I have a birthday in October, so let's continue to celebrate birthdays. And if today's your birthday, you're a snowflake, you're unique, you're special. But think about that moment where the candles are lit and we bring the cake out. And you may not know the other people in the room. You may have nothing else in common with them, but you're there for one reason, and that is to make this one person feel special. You're there to say that today is your day. You are unique. You are honored. You are celebrated. And if we can do that, if we can muster up the energy to sing praise to someone who is special one day a year, how much more so can we sing praise and celebrate God who is matchless in his worth, who is unlike any other. He is the creator of our lives. He is the author of our faith. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So we're going to celebrate him right now. Let's stand together. Come on, church. Let's sing. Hey, you can have a seat for a moment. I know it's Memorial Day weekend, and so the majority of us in here are probably identify ourselves as church people, but every week here at Orchard, we want to give someone an opportunity to say yes to Jesus if they haven't done so already. And so uh, let's, let's, let's bow our heads and close our eyes here in this moment. And if, if that's you, if today you walked in here and somehow God has changed your perspective, he's changed how you now view him, maybe you heard something, maybe you, you saw it, and how we sang, and today you're amazed at what God has done, and you want to put your trust in him. I want to help you with that. He can read your thoughts, so all you have to do is think these words as I pray them. Pray this in your heart and in your head. Say, Lord, I believe that you died for my sins. I believe you were raised to life to set me free, to give me new life. And today, Jesus, I say yes to following you. I say yes to trusting in you. Now with eyes closed and heads still bowed, if, 
If you just prayed that prayer, I want to pray for you because you're about to start a journey that, that I want to be able to pray for. And so with no one else looking, if you wouldn't mind just slipping up your hands so I can pray for you in this moment, if you just said yes to Jesus and just prayed that prayer. Yes, I see you here. It's in the back as well. Let's pray. God, we thank you for those who are trusting you today, those who see you, those who know what you've done. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Not only that he died for us, but that he gave us his spirit to walk with us. So help them as they trust in you and they say yes to to finding you here in this moment, that God, that they would follow you after they leave here today. It's in your name we pray, amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, we want to put this book in your hands because we know that your next steps are super urgent and super important. And so before you leave here today, right across the lobby is a yes booth. We'd love for you to pick this up to take your next steps. We made this just for you for today. Orchard Church, before we continue, can we celebrate those who said yes to Jesus today and thank God for them? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Hey, Pastor Doug may not be a very large man, but he leaves some pretty big shoes to fill on this stage. So can we give Matt a hand for doing a great job? Great message, Matt. Thanks you, thank you all for coming out this weekend here on Memorial Day weekend. Let me be the first to invite you back next weekend as Pastor Doug returns to the stage and we kick off a new series called Taking a Stand. So please come back for that. We'll also be honoring some of our law enforcement community. So if you have friends or relatives or neighbors or family who are law enforcement officers, invite them to come because we'd love to honor them, pray for them, and give them a free gift next Sunday, June 3rd here at Orchard Church. Uh, That's next weekend. We know that every weekend is somebody's very first weekend here at Orchard Church. So if that's you, if you made the courageous decision to come through the doors for the very first time, we're so glad you're here. Can we welcome our first time guest, Orchard? Thanks for joining us today. I hope we've been good hosts. I hope you have felt welcome your whole time here. We want to continue to be good hosts even after you leave the building today. So that connection card in your newsletter, hopefully you filled that out. If you'll drop that in the offering bucket, we'll send you a free gift in the mail just as a thank you for worshiping with us today, first-time guests. But for now, let's all stand as we have one more chance to sing some praise to our God as we close the service. So stand with me as we do that. If you said yes to Jesus today, now is that perfect time to slip out to the lobby, get that book that Matt talked about. God bless. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.